right. How's everyone doing? Good. All right, well, I'm excited to be with you all again for another night. Wasn't today fun? Man, I, I had a good time. I was at the pool. I played basketball. I can't play basketball, but I tried my best. Man, I just had a great time today hanging with you all. You all have been very kind and gracious to welcome me among y'all, and y'all have been inviting me to hang out with you guys. That's felt good. Um, so I'm excited to be here again tonight. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Can y'all hear me? Okay, I think my voice is going to get sore towards the end of this week, so uh, the, the sound booth might have to give me a little juice probably on the last night, um, but I'm glad y'all can still hear me. Um, so we're, we're going to start off in verse 11. So basically, the book of Ephesians, there's a bunch of letters at the end of the Bible, and these letters are written by the Apostle Paul to different churches throughout the Mediterranean region. This, was, was, this one was written to the church in Ephesus. And he's gone throughout the whole letter. He's talked about the blessings that God has given them. He's talking about victory over their sin and over the flesh and over the devil. He's talking about how God has saved them. And he calls them to remember how God has saved them and who they are and what God has called them to. And now he comes to the point of the letter. Really, from this point onward, he starts to talk about the church. And we're only in chapter 2. And there's six chapters in this book. This means that the church is a big deal in God's plan for the world. You see, God doesn't only want to make peace with individuals, right? So yesterday we talked about how God has made peace with us as individuals, and he has uh, called us who are his enemies to be friends with him. Y'all remember that? And he's done this through Jesus. The rest of the time, I'm going to talk about how you all relate to each other. Because guess what? The way that you know you have peace with God is how you treat each other. If you hate each other, and if you're enemies with each other, then there's little evidence that God has actually moved towards the world to make peace with it. Does that make sense? So if it's, if it's true that God has moved towards the world in order to make peace with the world, there should be some people on the world who get along with each other. Y'all with me? There should be some people on the world who have peace with one another. See, God's goal in Jesus is not to just save individuals and isolated individuals. His goal is to have the whole cosmos submitted to his lordship. The Bible uses terms like, and, and everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow the knee to Jesus. And we're like, what does that mean, under the earth, <laughs> right? We're like, in heaven, okay, I guess some demons are finna bow the knee and angels. So God's plan is to unite everything in the universe under the lordship of Jesus. And if that's true, there needs to be peace among each other if we're going to be united under Jesus. So tonight we're, we're going to read about this peace between each other. Um, all right, I'll, I'll read and then I'll pray and then we'll dive in. We're starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace. Somebody say peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I'm going to read verse 14 one more time. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. Would you all pray with me? This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, for this night. We thank you for this time. Lord, we have come here not just because we are just wanting to play at the bees, just because uh, we are wanting to hang out with each other, but Lord, we are seeking you. God, we uh, believe that you exist, you are real, and we believe that there is something in this moment that you have to offer us. So Lord, I pray that you would show up and show out. Lord, would you throw your weight around? Would you show your glory? God, I pray that your spirit would fall fresh upon me, that it would fill me, that I might have the power and the boldness and the clarity to explain what you have already said in your word. And God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move upon my hearers, that their hearts might be open to your word. They might believe it. They might receive it. Lord, that they might love it. Not only that, but they might treasure it and practice it in their lives. Lord, we beg you that we would not only be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word and that your word would transform us, heal us, build us up in comfort and holiness. Lord, we love you. Amen. So how many of you all have seen Black Panther? Have you all seen that movie? All right, cool. All right. So Black Panther, I, I, like, I need to look it up, but I think Black Panther might be top three in the highest grossing movies of all time. Isn't it, isn't it like Titanic and Avatar and then like Black Panther or something like that? Isn't that true? Any movie buffs can confirm that? It's one of the most popular movies ever. So, uh, oh, Endgame beat it? Oh, all right, man, Marvel's doing their thing. Um, so, uh, so Black Panther is one of the most popular movies ever. So uh, if you know about Black Panther, he's a superhero in a place called Wakanda, and Wakanda has vibranium. Now, this vibranium is a special element that was used to create highly advanced technology. It can absorb and release energy. It causes kind of mystical abilities to be heightened. And also, um, it can bestow supernatural abilities on things like flowers, like that flower that T'Challa drank. And uh, because of the vibranium and genius of the Wakandans, Wakanda became a place of prosperity, of just um, technology, of beauty, of power, and of glory. But here's a unique thing in the movie, and here's kind of where a lot of the conflict lies. Wakanda was closed off to all the nations. It had a strict policy 
against anybody knowing about it. It had a cloak around the whole nation so that when people thought of Wakanda, they only just thought it was just a, you know, a, a, not many people and they were all farmers, but they didn't know they were highly advanced technologically. And so, uh, but the thing was, um, T'Challa, he saw the plight of the African diaspora. He saw African communities all around the world suffering under poverty and under oppression. And he was like, why haven't kings in the past T'Challa is the king. T'Challa's like, why haven't kings in the past helped out these communities? We have the resources and enough vibranium to help out these communities. And so really after seeing like a lot of the dirt in, in the past and after seeing how his father was kind of shady, he eventually decided to open up the doors to Wakanda. He decided to open up the doors to Wakanda to all people and aid the impoverished communities of the world. Now, uh, I want you to walk away with this. If you don't walk away with anything else, walk away with this. God has opened up the door, so make yourself at home. God has opened up the door, so make yourself at home. This is the main idea I'm going to be unpacking in our time tonight. God has opened up the door, so make yourself at home. And so what I want to declare to you and, and convince you of This is going to kind of sound weird, but Israel is God's Wakanda. Did you know that? Israel is God's Wakanda. All all throughout history, just like Wakanda, Israel was kind of God's chosen people. They had the vibranium. They had the vibranium of the covenants, the promises, the patriarchs, the glory, the law, the worship. These were the vibranium, or this was the vibranium that made Israel the most advanced and the most blessed nation in all of history. They were blessed. And when I say Israel, I'm not talking about like the modern political nation that we now know of that was created by the United Nations in the 1940s. I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm talking about ancient Israel. I'm talking about the Israel that you read about in your Bibles. Uh, It it is an ancient Near Eastern uh, nation, and God chose it to be his, uh, his people. But here's the thing, like Wakanda, Israel had a strict code. Did y'all know that? Like Wakanda, Israel had a strict code. They had their doors closed to the nations. And the strict codes that they had, have y'all heard of some of these strict codes? Y'all, I'm so glad we live in the New Testament times because they had some crazy codes that, you know, like if they, um, if you even touched in ceremony an unclean person, you were ceremonially unclean and you had to like go outside the city and live in these camps outside the city. Like if you bled or if you touched a dead body and all these different things would make you unclean. They had dietary laws. Y'all, I like bacon. Under the old covenant, I couldn't eat bacon. That's kind of sad, isn't it? They couldn't eat bacon. They couldn't eat pork. They couldn't have pork chops. They, they had all these strict codes. And then they had a sacrificial system. They had to offer all these type of sacrifices. So if someone sinned, they had to take a bull. Can y'all imagine leading a bull like from, you know, maybe like, uh, I don't know. Panama City to Jackson, Mississippi, and then like sacrificing it and then going home. Like that's the type of things they had to do back then. But these strict codes, part of the design was to make Israel a separate nation. They couldn't eat with anybody else because they had these strict dietary codes. They were their own kind of special nation. They couldn't even touch the Gentiles. The Gentiles were, is another word for the nations. They had all these strict codes. 
God wanted them to be holy. And then when the nations or the Gentiles saw that they were holy, they would see how beautiful God is and worship God. But here's the thing. Um, this, the strict codes, the way that Israel related to the rest of the world shifted when Jesus came. Now, I'm going to kind of give you guys a detailed description of Ephesus. Is, is this boring you guys, or, or do y'all want to hear about Ephesus and, like, some of the, the stuff was going on? Because I feel like we're, we're in America, and all we know is, like, you know, probably rural southern America. And I, I kind of want y'all to hear a little about Ephesus. Is that cool? They had, like, wizards and witches and magic and amulets and stuff like that. Isn't, isn't that great? I mean, it's not great. But, like, isn't that, like, great how different their world was and it kind of challenges us? So, like, Ephesus was this place where dark magic was everywhere. And kind of in America, we're used to thinking about worshiping one God. Like, if someone doesn't worship one God, it's almost like they're weird. But back then, they're like, yeah, we worship a thousand different gods. We got a God of, you know, wine, and then we have a God of uh, prosperity, and then we have the God of the sun, and we got the God of fertility. Like, all these different gods, and they all worship them all the same, t- all the same time. They had temples where they made sacrifices so Ephesus, and they, and they had magic. Like, they had dark magic. They would cast spells on each other. Uh, and then they would have amulets and things like that to protect themselves from evil spirits and demons. So this was a place that was soaked with religion, soaked with spirituality, always thinking about religion and spirits and, and the spiritual realms. And so guess who comes to this place to bring Christianity to it? Paul. Paul comes, this Hebrew of Hebrews, this Pharisee, the one of the most Jewish guys who ever lived, comes to this weird city to bring the gospel. So what does he first do? He goes to the synagogue. This is a place where Jews met. So Paul was apostle to the Gentiles, but he first goes to the Jews. And he, and he, so because he's a Pharisee, he has like uh, an opportunity to preach uh, in the synagogue. So he starts telling them about Jesus. So the Jews, they were like, okay, this Jesus stuff, this is new. Let's figure it out. And so you have some Jews uh, who would follow Jesus, but then some Jews who would reject Jesus. And so then the Jews who rejected Jesus, they were like, hey, Paul, you can't preach here anymore. You're preaching that weird Jesus stuff. You got to get up out of here. So Paul's like, all right, me, me and my people going to leave. So now you have Paul. All right, and this might blow some of your minds. Paul and his Jewish Christians. Are y'all with me? Jewish Christians were basically Christians who practiced the strict codes. Y'all with me? Christians who did the dietary laws and all those kind of different things. And so Paul and his people set up at Tyrannus Hall, and now they start preaching to Gentiles. Y'all remember what Gentiles are? Basically, anyone who wasn't a Jew. It's it's the nations. So now you have Gentile Christians. You have Gentiles coming to believe in the Lord. So can you imagine this? You have a church where you have basically, um, or a city where you have basically four different types of people. You have the Gentiles and the Jews who don't really get along because the Gentiles have magic and all this weird stuff, and they do all this and they break all the rules. And so the Jews are like, man, the Gentiles are weird. They're gross. They're nasty. I can't believe that. And then the Gentiles are looking at the Jews, and they're like, man, the Jews only believe in one God, and they do, and they're always to themselves. They don't want to even touch us. And then they circumcise themselves. That's weird, right? (laughs) And so the Jews and the Gentiles don't get along. But guess who's in Paul's church? Now you have Jewish Christians. So the Jewish Christians are like, we believe in Jesus, but we practice the strict codes. But then the Gentile Christians are like, we believe in Jesus, but we don't practice the strict codes. Do you see all the divisions going on? Are y'all with me? You have Jews, Gentiles, Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians. 
And these are all in the same city. And Paul has a church of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So you can see why Paul writes. I mean, really, if you read the Bible, he writes about peace between different people all the time. You know why? Because he had some churches that gave him headaches. Paul was the hardest working pastor who ever lived. Paul had some knuckleheaded churches. So basically, there was division everywhere in the Ephesians church. That's it. That's why um, it talks about in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And then he goes on to talk about remember that you were one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So he's, he's reminding the Ephesian church, which is probably mostly Gentile Christians, that they were at one time alienated from Wakanda. So everybody in here, probably, I would guess, every individual, did y'all know that you all aren't like Jews? Did y'all know that y'all aren't Palestinian, Afro-Asiatic Jews? Did y'all know that? (laughs) We are all Gentiles. We are the nations. So when we read this passage, we shouldn't think, oh, we're the Jews, and then we got to let all the Gentiles in. No, like, we're the Gentiles who are let in. So he's saying we were all separated from Israel. We were separated from Wakanda. Uh, and so, uh, don't we feel this division? Um, so, basically, he, here's the thing. We have divisions everywhere, right? Back then, it was the Jews and the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians and other popular divisions that the Bible brings up in Galatians 3 and, and Colossians 3. It talks about man and woman. It talks about Greek and barbarian. It talks about slave and free. It talks about Scythian, right? Have you, have you all heard some of these divisions in the Bible? But here's the thing. What are some divisions nowadays? Man and woman is is certainly a division, right? Black and white. Maybe middle income and lower income. Maybe upper income. Don't we have all different type of divisions? Maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's international or domestic. Maybe it's immigrant or native born. Maybe it is racially Uh, even deeper than black and white, which is in the South. Maybe it's Hispanic Americans versus Asian Americans. Who knows? We have all these different types of divisions. And they even go down even within race, racial categories, right? You have the the, the jocks and the nerds. You have the people who like Pokemon and the people who like Yu-Gi-Oh. You have the people who like, uh, you know, PlayStation, Xbox. You even have iPhone versus Android. That's a major division, y'all. Hey, this is random fact. Uh, Nah, well, yeah, so... Basically, whenever someone has like doesn't have an iPhone, I'm like genuinely having compassion. I'm trying to figure out how to get them an iPhone so we can text, right? I'm like, I want you, I want to text you. I want everything to be blue. How can I get you an iPhone? <laughs> Anybody got a got an old iPhone, right? So, uh, man, so this present age is de- is defined by division, isn't it? Democrats and Republicans, right? All these different type of divisions. Um, I call these present age divisions. This current age is, div- is divided. And if Jesus wants to unite the whole world under his lordship, aren't these divisions an issue? Divisions are an issue if Jesus wants to unite the whole world under his lordship. I got to speed up. I'm having fun preaching this, but I got to speed up. Um, when I have fun, I go slow because I don't want it to end. Um, okay, speeding through, speeding through. Um, all right. We have to genuinely ask the question, how do we contribute to these divisions? 
we have to ask the question, how do you in 2019 in the United States contribute to these divisions? And this is probably one of your small group questions. In what ways do we form our own little cliques and we get with people who are exactly like us and then we don't want the people who aren't like us to get in because then they're going to make it uncomfortable because then we actually have to like not just totally be ourselves. We actually have to sacrifice to love other people, right? We actually have to sacrifice to bring other people into our friend circles and actually make them feel welcome like actual Christians, right? And I do it, I do it as well. I contribute to these divisions. It is so easy and so natural to just be around people who are in my little circle and we talk about how we're like each other and how we're so much better than the people outside and how we're God's gift to earth. And then we get so jaded that we just completely lose touch of reality with people who are not like us. Has anyone ever been there? Is anyone there? I could raise my hand. I could be transparent. But here's the thing. The door was closed, but now the door is open. Somebody say the door open. So it says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So here's the thing. Now that Jesus has come and died, there was a shift in what it meant to be a part of God's Wakanda. You no longer had to be a Jew. In other words, you no longer had to follow the strict codes in order to be a part of God's Wakanda. So here's the thing. In the last, in the last scene of the movie, there's like the spaceship. Y'all remember when it goes down into the basketball court? And then the kids see the spaceship, be like, whoa, a spaceship. And King is like, yeah, we're bringing the vibranium to the whole world. This is basically what it's like when the gospel came to anywhere outside of Jerusalem. It was like the Wakandan spaceship crashing down and landing. And we see the beautiful promises of the gospel. We see that Jesus is for everyone. And you know how Jesus did this? He killed the strict codes. He took away the strict codes so that there was no more division between Jew and Gentile. Uh, basically, he abolished the Mosaic law when he died. So now uh, the, the, the text uses the, the word the dividing wall to describe these divisions. Basically, back then in the temple, there was literally a wall that separated the, the place for the Jews and the court of the Gentiles. And if Gentiles ever got close to the sanctuary, if they ever passed by this wall, they would be put to death. Did y'all know that? And so Jesus says, basically, me, Jesus is like me abolishing the strict codes is like that wall being torn down. Like Gentiles, everyone, all the nations can now draw near to God through Jesus Christ. There is no more division. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. There are no more insiders and outsiders. Everyone who bows in knee to Jesus is an insider. The two that were formerly divided by the Mosaic law, God has made them one. And the text also says he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. So basically... It's saying Jesus came and preached peace to people who are far off and near. This means Jesus, through his missionaries, through ordinary Christians, through his apostles, he was sending the gospel. And when people believe the gospel, they receive the peace of Jesus. And if you have received peace with Jesus, if you have the vertical peace, now God is saying you have to have peace with each other. If you are at peace with God vertically... Now you have to have peace with each other, even though those people are not like you. So here's the thing. There was present age divisions, but now there's new creation unity. There were present age divisions. This present age is, de is defined by divisions. But now, because of Jesus, there is new creation unity. Did you know that if you believe in Jesus, you are part of a new creation? You are part of something new that God is doing. And in this something that is, that is new, there has to be unity.
And so here's the thing, y'all. The inclusive church, a diverse church, is not just something trendy. It's not just something cool that everyone's talking about, diversity, and we got to include. It's actually something that God commands, that God's church is a unified church. All of the nations have been brought near to God. It's not just a progressive thing. It's not just a politically left thing. It's a gospel issue. So we find ourselves, oh, well, when I first preached this, it's interesting. Every time I, I, I first write, I write this word near some type of significant holiday related to this topic. So I'm going to tie in July 4th. When I first preached this to my students, we were in Black History Month. Now, y'all, I love being black. I wouldn't want to be anything other than black, not because anything else is bad, but because I just love being black. I love black food. I love black culture. I love everything about being black. But here's the thing. Being black is no longer my primary identity marker when I believe in Jesus. Do you know what I've now become when I believe in Jesus? I'm now an Israelite. I'm now a Wakandan. (laughs) I'm now an Israelite, right? That Israel is the new nation that I'm now a part of. I'm still black. I'm still a male. I'm still an American, right? I'm still middle income. But here's the thing. All of that has to bow down to the fact that I'm an Israelite. I have now been brought near. I'm no longer a stranger and alien to the covenants and to the commonwealth of Israel. I am now a citizen, a fellow heir, a co-member, a a, a, a co-partaker in Israel. That means that the way I relate to the world now changes. See, Israel, as the Bible defines it, is a multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, cross-racial, multilingual group of people everywhere and at all times who have confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if we know the history of what Jesus has done for us, it will allow all of us to be united for a common purpose, no matter how diverse we are. And here's the thing. Is, is, is July 4th tomorrow? I lose track of holidays. Thursday. Okay, thanks, y'all. July 4th is Thursday. But guess what? If you are an Israelite, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you, have, you now have a new history. July 4th is no longer primarily your Independence Day. You know what's your Independence Day? Every week on Sunday, when we come together and celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus from the law and from sin and death. Every Sunday is our July 4th celebration, is our Freedom Day celebration. You now have a new history. Guess what? Abraham is my forefather. I'm reading about Isaac and Jacob on personal devotions. That's my, like, great times a thousand granddaddy kind of, right? That's my family. That's my history. I'm a part of a new nation. God has opened up the doors so even us in America can join ancient Near Eastern Israel. Did y'all know that Christ and his church are the answer for world peace? Did y'all know that? Christ and his church are the answer for world peace. So we talked about the door closed. We talked about the door opening. And lastly, I want to talk about making ourselves at home. Can we try something a little more intense? I, w- I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, this is weird, but this, ha- this, this is like a black church thing. So let's try it. Neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Say, make yourself, make yourself. At, home. at home. All right, using the black church, we, we, we turned our other neighbor, but that's enough. Like, I already stretched y'all enough, all right? So we, tomorrow, we, we might turn to two neighbors. Um, so make yourself at home. So in the last few verses, Paul uses several images in order 
to describe what it actually means to be a part of this new nation, this new Israel. Uh, it, he describes what it means to have peace with Jesus and have peace with each other. He says it's, it's like being a citizen in a new nation. So have any of y'all traveled internationally before? You see, my wife is way more adventurous than I am with vacations. She likes to go, uh, like, to new, new uh, countries. I don't because I don't know the language, and I'm stressed out because I don't know the language, and I don't know where anything is. And so I come back from the vacation just stressed out. Um, but here's the thing. When I get back home and I'm in my own city and I know where all the restaurants are, I know where to go and where not to go, man, I feel at ease, right? I don't even have to think about it. It's because it's my city, right? It's my nation, that's what God's people should feel like to you. It should feel like your city. It should feel like your nation. You should feel at home among the people of God. The question is, do you feel at home among the people of God? And if not, there's a problem. Uh, the, the third image that he uses, I mean, the second one in verse 19 is a house member. Hey, have, have you all ever um, had a, spent the night or had a sleepover or whatever we call it nowadays at your friend's house? Like, I'm, I'm chilling, we're playing Xbox, and I'm like, man, can I crash here? And he's like, yeah, cool, bro, that's cool. Have any of y'all ever done that? Man, well, like, people don't do that anymore? Raise your hands high. I'm a little worried now. Okay, good. I'm glad people still do that. Like, but, but when I'm at my friend's house, that's not my fridge, so I can't go up in there. Man, my best friend growing up, he used to always have red Gatorade, and I felt weird about touching the red Gatorade, right? I'm like, bro, can I get the red Gatorade? He's like, man, you better drink it all, bro, <laughs> right? Don't waste a drop. Well, see, when I'm not at my own house, I got to ask questions. I got to, you know, ask before I touch the red Gatorade. But when I'm at my own house, I can go to my own fridge, eat whatever's in there, just not my brothers and sisters' leftovers because it's about to be a fight, right? Eat your own leftovers. But we can be in our own house and feel comfortable, right? This is what it's like to be a part of the people of God. He says you are members of the household of God. You should feel at home among God's people. And if not, there's a problem. Jesus wants you to feel at home. The third image is a temple construction in verses 20 through 21. So here's the thing. When we build, we use all different types of materials, right? When the temple was built back then, they had gold. They had, you know, uh, all these different types of metal, um, all these different types of craft work, bronze and copper and wood. Here's the thing. The people of God is like a temple building project. He's building one building, but he's using all different types of materials. You should feel like you are a significant and worthy part of the people of God because you are. You are a precious stone of God's temple where God lives. And so here's the thing, and I'm closing here. Um, I think that a huge thing um, that is really going to be significant for the, the really Christianity going forward for many reasons is can we have peace with each other? Y'all catch that? I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges of the church in the future. Can we have peace with one another in America? You see, the thing is, a lot of people who aren't a part of the church look at the church and be like, why should I join that uh, organization if they can't even have peace with each other? They talk about unity. They talk about the gospel of peace. But I don't see no peace, right? And when people come to the church, they kind of feel like they're not in their own home. They feel like they're not really truly a part of the temple building project. They really kind of halfway feel like they're in a foreign country. And they never, and, and, and even though they believe in Jesus, they never feel the welcome. And so they give up on the church even though they want to pursue Jesus sometimes. But here's the thing. As the church, we have to do the hard, sacrificial, oftentimes and actually all the time, 
painful work of pursuing peace within the church. So, so, so here's the thing. We have to fight for new creation unity. So when we come in contact with different people from different social circles, different genders, different culture, different ethnicity, you must welcome them and share the gospel with them. And when they believe the gospel, you need to keep on still welcoming them. As, and you need to welcome them as a newly formed brother and sister in Christ once they believe in Jesus. So it, whoever places their trust in Jesus, they are now a member of Israel, and they are equal, and they are united with you. And we have to display that in the way that we relate to each other. There are no second-class citizens in Christ's kingdom. And so Christ's church is a church at peace, and this message of peace that we preach must be displayed in the way that we relate to one another. Are y'all with me? So if we talk about we have a gospel of peace, but we're not at peace with one another, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. Here's the thing. Um, how do we do this peace? Like, it's, it's one thing to talk about peace and, you know, throw up the peace sign, but what does this actually look like? You see, I'm challenged by this text. Me personally, like, this text jacks me up every time I, I, I look at it and read it, basically because I know that I can treat people differently based upon the stereotype I have of them. Am I the only one? I can see somebody dressed as a blue-collar worker, right? And I just get real familiar. I just treat them like, oh, normal person. And then I see somebody in a suit. I'm like, hello, sir, how are you? Right? I'm saying that person is more worthy of respect than this other person because of the way they dress. Someone comes in the church, and they say, hey, I'm an elder candidate. And we're like, oh, no, you look like a deacon, or vice versa. Or someone comes into the church, and we say, hey, are you lost? And they're like, um, no, I'm a member here, <laughs> right? Because we have a certain profile of what people should look like if we think they're going to be a Christian, right? Um, man, and I treat people differently by basically based off of little stuff, like by the way they dress, by the way they talk, by the way they interact socially, by the, way, by the color of their skin, the neighborhood they live in, their criminal record or lack thereof, how many tattoos they have. If they walk into the church, like, I know people who have walked into church, and I, it's hard for me to actually believe, but, like, they're like, yeah, like, I have all these tattoos, and that person over there in this church, I literally said hi to him or her, and they just stood there and stared at me because of the way I look. Or people, because of the color of my skin, they think I'm lost and I actually shouldn't be in that church. I've had people tell me in their lifetimes that they've seen people of a different race physically removed from churches because of the color of their skin in our life. Like, in people are still alive who have witnessed this, right? This is not just back in, the, in, in past history. This is today. And so I'm guilty of this every time I treat people differently because of the way they look or because of some stereotype I have of them. Um, I am basically communicating that they need more than Jesus to be a part of the church. By doing that, I'm communicating that they need more than Jesus to be a part of the church. Isn't this why Paul uh, jammed up Peter when Peter was hanging out with Gentiles and then Peter's Jewish buddies walked in and then Peter was like, hey, I'm not going to hang out with the Gentiles anymore. Let me go sit over with the Jews. And Paul, like, I imagine Paul, like, got in his face in front of everybody. He was like, bro, you're not walking in truth with the gospel and rebukes him, elder, the, the rock upon which the church is built. He rebukes him in front of everybody. Because he was doing this. He was saying, you need Jesus plus something else to be a part of the church. Jesus plus money. Jesus plus social status. Jesus plus coolness. Jesus plus an extroverted personality. Or Jesus plus a certain style. Jesus plus brown skin. Jesus plus a southern dialect. Jesus plus good manners. 
when we do this, we are putting up walls that Jesus has torn down. When we do this, we are putting up walls that Jesus has torn down. We are being shaped by present age divisions when Jesus is about new creation unity. Are y'all still with me? Jesus invites all peoples from all backgrounds, all places, and all times to repent of their sins and to place their faith in him. Jesus is about unity, and he's inviting all people to be a part of his Israel. So my challenge is for your youth groups, for RYM, for RUF, for our churches, for all, all these type of ministries that, are, that, that, that we're intimately connected with, what would it look like for this to be more, a more explosive vibrant reality in our churches, in our youth groups? What would it look like for this peace to be more manifestly displayed? What would it look like for this peace to more visibly display itself in our groups? Um, So God has opened the door. He has invited you in. You need to make yourself at home. All right? The door is closed. The door is now open, and he invites you to make yourself at home. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the reality that you are good, you are loving. Besides you, there is no other. Lord, thank you for your message of peace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live out this peace with one another. Lord, would you please help us? Lord, we realize that this is a hard, hard thing. Lord, so often we are shaped by present age divisions. In Jesus, we realize that you are our peace. You, Jesus, are peace. Peace is a person. And Jesus, you are bringing us together across all different racial backgrounds, all different nations, all different cultures. And Lord, would you please do this work among us to make us united? Would you work peace among us? Lord, we love you. Amen.